Hey, what up? Thanks for listening to Work Stuff. This episode is a bit different from the others. This time I'm chatting with a family member instead of a coworker. And this person is a high school teacher, so not from the world of software or technology like the others. Brian Taylor is my oldest cousin and so is someone I've always looked up to. And while we stay in touch on all things LA Dodgers, this is really the first time I learned the full story of his journey becoming a teacher. We chat about his first job selling annuities, which was terrible, but he figured out he liked explaining things and went to grad school to become an English and history teacher. We also talk about the wide array of schools and students he's taught and how tough the COVID-19 pandemic was for teachers, for him and basically, you know, everyone. Thanks again for listening and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Work Stuff. Can you see my screen? No, I don't think so because it's just for listening. I'm the guy who brings up work stuff at parties. My name is Andy and I want you to join me. stories casually told how's your friday going i got my exercise like i have i am addicted to exercise bro like it's been good i mean i've always had the addictive personality and i'm finally addicted to something that's healthy yeah that, that is that is true i've noticed that in you a little bit, yes. dive, <laughs> a little bit. D- dive dive deep into everything that's right <laughs> i don't know how to do it any other way live music right right that is the other one i'm very into right now yeah like like more than sports I'm, I'm excited to go to that show with you like I, I can go to a fish show and not be able to see the stage and i still have a great fucking time great yeah i'm excited cool man well dude i appreciate you joining me i'm excited yes. to chat with you career-wise because yes. i know a bit about your career okay and i'm curious about your take just you know as a teacher you know, your yes. thoughts on just the work economy, I guess, in general. And you'll definitely be, you know, among the people that I've interviewed, you're definitely like the oddball right now, right? Okay. Like, here's like no other teachers or anything. And I'm trying to pepper those in there to okay. compare, right? You know, so yes. Um, tell me about your decision, I guess, what you studied in school to then go down this path of being a teacher. I know that was like okay. what you wanted to do for a long time. Was that like- Sort of. Yeah. Like, well, what did you want to do initially? And then how did you get into I, this? I, I don't know. I don't know, but I didn't, I didn't really have, yeah. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Like I just kind of ended up majoring in English and yeah. I took like, I actually took more philosophy classes, but I wanted to take all these like philosophy seminars without taking like the ancient philosophy stuff. And I found mm-hmm. if I just like went to professor's office hours and said, can I get a waiver for these prereqs? They'd be like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And they'd sign that. So oh, wow. I took like a lot more philosophy classes than English classes, but I majored okay. in English because it was an easier, I could also count all my theater. I took a bunch of theater classes because I just have always enjoyed theater mm-hmm. and uh, I could count those all towards the English major. So I ended up with like a transcript that was an English major with a lot of theater uh, and a philosophy mm. minor, but had mostly philosophy classes on my transcript. And, uh, but like, so I don't know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And like, so I had some friends who moved to Boston after college, mm-hmm. I went to college in, in New York State at Colgate. And uh, I was like, yeah, fine, I'll go to Boston. And I was like, I'll just get a job. <laughs> and so I like, went to like a head, you know, like, you know, what you, we called them. I don't know if they still have them. They're like, they're like headhunters. Like you just like a job yeah. finding agency. Like you give them their totally. resume and they'd like send you out on interviews. And like Boston has like kind of a robust financial industry. Like it's not yeah. New York, but there's a lot of, you know, financial companies there. Mm-hmm. And I kept getting sent on those interviews and then I got hired for one and like, like all right, this is fine. Like, you know, I learned despite, so like, we're... but like, despite like no business degree or economics no. degree, no, finance, nothing. that's, right. that's amazing. <laughs> right. That's amazing. I was, like, 
Well, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was late 1999, early, early, I think I was hired in January of 2000. And uh, like, the, like the economy was pretty, like everyone was hiring, like, like they could not get enough people to work jobs. Like it was a really booming, yeah. like everything, it's a lot of, oper- like nothing like super lucrative, you know, but it was like, what like entry level, any industry was fine. And I was like, yes, okay, I'll learn about money. Like that seems kind of important. So I'll just mm-hmm. learn about it. So I worked for uh, this company called Manulife Financial. It's a division of manufacturer's life insurance. And it was like the okay. financial wing. And they did annuities. And so annuities, it's like, um, it's like you're investing in mutual funds and you like wrap a life insurance product around that. Okay. And like, it was like, seemed fine. Um, and like, I just, it was like very entry level at first. And I would like, you know, it was like just data account management stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, good at like, talking about it because uh, I like to talk. And so they moved me into like the phone unit and I actually kind of, I kind of enjoyed that for a while. Like people would call in about their accounts and I just mm-hmm. became knowledgeable about our funds and I would just provide information or, you know, would you know, execute transactions for brokers and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was funny. also like, yeah, I mean, but it was, it was like, this, like two things. It was the same thing every day. Like, and it, it got really boring really fast. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, like I kind of came to see the company as fairly crooked, like, it was a lot of, it was a lot of old people and they really didn't understand how it was working. And they didn't like, I would end up, end up explaining like the management and expense fees gotcha. to people a lot. Right. right. It felt kind of dirty. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. like, listen, old man, like your broker, maybe not wasn't totally honest with you when he sold you this. <laughs> like that's where your money, like this percent of your money is going to pay me and other people. And he's like, Oh, I didn't understand that. And like that, Great. That conversation kind of happened a lot. Kind of like <laughs> and, uh, you're, you're explaining to yourself why you don't like this, like <laughs> right, figuring right. out the the shitty process. Right. Because like right. Yes, I had I had no either financial or like moral motivation for like the company, and I like sided with the customers. You know? like, right. Right. <laughs> hilarious. Yes. So I did that. Um, but they like, my boss was like, hey, you're really good at like explaining how to do these things and explaining the job. So they had me like working with new hires. Mm-hmm. So I started like teaching people how to do this, how to like talk on the phone and be polite to customers and manage things and all that. And that was like, I really enjoyed that. It was the first like work experience I enjoyed, was, like helping people get better at things. Like that right, was, I don't right. know, like I just enjoyed that. For sure. And yeah. And then I was like, okay, screw this. Like I hate this job. And so I just quit. And, uh, and then I like went to, I lived in Brookline, a suburb of Boston. And, um, mm. I like, I was just like, I'm going to try, like, I'm going to try teaching and try like explaining things. And wow. my parents were like, yeah, of course, like you were always going to be a teacher. <laughs> you just know it. <laughs> and, uh, like, honestly though, like my hesitation was like the fact that you don't get rich being a teacher. And sure. as you know, yeah. I grew up with fairly wealthy parents and the idea of maintaining wealth is nice. Right. <laughs> <And> <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> but at the flip yeah. side i've also never felt like desperate you know like i've always known like if i ever was really in trouble marshall and judy are there you know and sure. you know what i mean like it's not like you know so i don't know it's like i, but I had like the privilege to ha- aim for a middle class income yeah um but also yeah. like a taste for fancy living <laughs> that i knew i was ever gonna <laughs> you know fully scratch on my own anymore you know yeah Walk um, to the rose bowl <laughs> right right yes so uh so i just i went to like i went to brooklyn brookline public schools like can i be a sub and they're like well i need you to feel like me have this open aid position like in, like in special education like this is this is definitely the 
the shittiest job in education. Like you basically yeah. get assigned to one, you know, high needs, high special needs child and you just help them through their day. Gotcha. And they're like, right. and she's like, I, she's like, I need to fill this job for this one really difficult kid. If you can do that. And it was like, this was like, um, I'm going to say it was like May, like there was only like six weeks left in the year or something. Mm. And she was like, if you can fill this job for me, then I'll put you on the sub roll after that. I did. And it was fine. Like I was fine. I, I managed pretty high functioning, but you know, autistic child. And like, mm -hmm. um, so I just helped him through his day, but I got to like see all these teachers and how they operate. I was like, yeah, this looks interesting. This looks different awesome. every day. Yeah. And then I got in the sub roles and I was like, yeah, this is it. I like working with teenagers. I like, this is so, so I did that just for a while. Um, and I also like, I like, you don't get much money as a sub. So I did some other jobs. Like I worked at like the front desk of a hotel for a while. And I worked at a flower shop for a while, just like retail <laughs> stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. So I had other jobs just to like, you know, have money basically. <laughs> um, but then I applied to grad, like while I was doing that, I applied to grad school uh, and went to Virginia because they did a two-year program and with financial support parents, like I could afford a two-year program. Mm -hmm. They were also going to let me, I want, I, I'd be licensed for an English position, but I wanted to also be licensed for social studies. And Virginia was the only program I applied to that would like allow me to also take all the under, undergraduate classes I needed to get a dual licensure in uh, social studies and, and English, which was important to me. I wanted those options as a teacher. Right on. And so I did that and UVA was awesome. Like it was all the professional training I would ever need. Like it was a fantastic program and like very, like they put you in Charlottesville schools and, you know, it was, also, it was, it was great. And then, so Megan was also, it was, so when I was, when I finished grad school, Megan still had a year to go at her grad program in DC. And we were kind of like, we were together, but she was living in DC and I was in Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I moved to DC and like, so I was aware at the time, Andy, that like generally the thing in teaching is like people get hired at like age 21 and then they are in that same school for life. Like they get locked in and they yeah. can't move. Right. Yeah. And there's a certain like level of like people who hire teachers want to hire 21 year olds because they're cheap and they, there's never enough money for things. And so right. if you reach a certain salary point, like you become unhirable because they're going to hire someone younger and cheaper. Right. So knowing mm -hmm. like I had a certain window of time, I kind of like, even then I was like, okay, I want like to try different schools. I'm not sure like what the best school for me is going to be. And so I like, I wanted to like jump jobs a little bit, like while well, I still sure. sort of had time to try that out. Yeah. So the first one, uh, I worked at Alexandria Country Day School in Alexandria, Virginia which mm -hmm. was a K to eight school. It was very hoity toity. Like the, like <laughs> the, the, the children, the, the parents of these students were like powerful Washington people. Great. And uh, yeah, which is, it was its own kind of mm -hmm. universe, which was both amazing and kind of messed up in some ways. And, you know, it was, it was an interesting job. The principal, definitely the head of school, definitely his angle was to hire young men because I think he was not comfortable with with women in general, basically. Oh boy. <laughs> He's a really weird guy. Um, but then also like young, like, and he would hire them for like two or three years and then not rehire them because, you know, so he was just like cycling through young guys. Uh, but it was also, it was weird, but also like, when you were there and you're a young dude and you, all like all of your colleagues are also young dudes who love teaching. Mm -hmm. Like it was a super fun work environment. Right. <laughs> so there was that. And I'm still like, I haven't, ha I've never had a work environment like that where I've like became close friends with most of my colleagues and still I'm friends with them to this day. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, but so then to save money at this house that Marshall renovated out in Virginia, um, 
like Megan and I moved out there. She was still commuting to to DC, but it was like two hours away. And oh, I was yeah. like, I'm not gonna do. I'm not gonna do that. Crazy. So then I, it was crazy. It was not. It was not a healthy plan for Megan. We came to find out. Yeah. But uh, so making that move, I then got hired at like a big public high school in sort of rural Virginia, which was like the 180 degree opposite environment from <laughs> right. Alexandria Country Day School. Yeah. Yeah. And that was interesting. That was it. It, it was just it was like a different culture it was like like this this like i mean you and i went to schools where like people care about school and like yeah. like learning and it's valued you know and like the parents and the students like care about just you know education for the sake of being educated you know right and in, right. And in rural virginia is not like I, I was i was like trying to convince my students most of the time of the value of reading and writing and like being in school and having a Yikes. high school degree yeah it was very different doing that i was like okay this is an opportunity to do what i to wanted move. which was have a very different work experience yeah, yeah and so so you to, wanted to go you wanted to go that polar opposite that was intentional yes yeah. correct correct because there gotcha. were some hoity-toity like boarding schools and like there were schools i could right. have driven to you know reasonable commute yeah. Um, that would have been more similar. And I sought the public school thing. I wanted to see what that was like. It was cool. also, I mean, I got, I got licensed for it at UVA. Mm -hmm. And so, was, you know, um, and also a lot of people don't know this, like public school pays better than independent schools, like really? almost across. Yes. Like people assume the opposite, but it's a lot. I mean, it's, it's like a volume thing. Like you got, you know, the more students you have, the more money's coming in like public mm -hmm. schools, you have, you have a much higher caseload of students and you have a much wide it's a more a far more challenging job in terms of like the range of students you're teaching mm -hmm. but the trade-off is you get significantly higher salary and you mm -hmm. get uh usually much better benefits cool i mean i don't mind i don't mind telling you like my salary i don't know if you asked that in your your podcast here i haven't been um, um it's up to you yeah, but, I have no uh, problem. So my first, so my first job, Alexandria Country, I was making thirty-seven thousand. This was in two thousand five. Uh -huh. um, then I was making forty-five at the uh, like the same time. So immediate eight grand jump, forty-five at uh, Skyline High School in Virginia. Uh -huh. But just to put the money in context, so I'll tell you about the next job after that. Yeah. With that my my last independent school in DC, I was making fifty-one, and this was six years ago. And now in Union, Massachusetts, I'm going to make a hundred thousand this year. Like it's oh. almost twice, and I'm in a, a non-urban environment. Like, yeah. So a, a a independent school, especially in a non-union area, like half the salary of a union job at a public school. Holy cow! Yeah, it makes sense if it's for profit. Like if they're not trying to hire the most expensive teachers. <laughs> Right. And there are, I mean, there's other, there are, there are for profit, like there are companies with stockholders running their schools. Now there's a couple of major yeah. ones in this country, wow. which is a weird concept to me. They're, they're going for the, the cookie cutter thing. They're trying to provide, yeah. it's like McDonald's. Like they want to provide the same product to every student kind of thing. Um, they also, Yikes. it's like teach for America. Like they cycle through young teachers, like and yeah. they, they get yeah. the cheap thing. Understood. Um, so, okay. So, but then wow. we had our son out in Virginia and Megan uh -huh. was like, put a fine point on it. She's like, fuck this commute. I'm not, I'm not having a child <laughs> and doing this commute. So we moved back to DC so yeah. we could have a family and we got, you know, bought a house in college park, Maryland. So still in the DC orbit, like inside the beltway, but on the Maryland side. Yeah. And so again, I was making a change and uh, economy still pretty good at this time. This was the start of no wait. It started the 2010 school year at this point. Okay. So I've been a teacher for five years and I got hired at Barry school, which was like a super progressive, like incredibly as far progressive as you can get kind of school. Like, wow. but by okay. the first names, I was a humanities teacher. 
meaning uh-huh. like I taught English and history, like the total grades, like, like all of the 12th, I was doing a 12th grade class that was a total of 25 kids. That was all of the 12th graders in the school. Gotcha. Like, yeah. So super small, super intimate. And like, what sucked is like, they never had money for anything. Like, and every mm-hmm. single year it was like, are we even going to be a school next year? Can we even operate? And they basically ended up mm. relying on this one super wealthy guy whose kids went there who would just write them a check to stay in the black every year. Yeah. But every year we get to June and it's like, are we going to be a school? Like, do we, any of us have jobs? Like, that's and that's, that sucks. But on the flip side, especially, I, and then by the, my third year, we had two kids. And so I'm like, okay, <laughs> like I'm supporting a family now. It's not just, it's not just crazy Brian and Megan here. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, Megan has a job too, and she was still making significantly more money than I was at this point in her job. Yeah. Um, but um, the thing was, though, this was like a really incredible place to work. Like the people who were drawn to this type of teaching environment, like it was like we were casting off all of the traditional expectations about what school is. And, and even like we explored <laughs> like not even having class periods, like just having assignments, you know, and like kids come to you to work on it. Like we would, we would try all these different models. That's like, amazing. It was so amazing. It was a phenomenal place to work while simultaneously being a terrible place to be employed because you just weren't sure if you'd have a job ever, you know? Yeah. Wild. But I think I learned in those, in those five years, I think I learned more about being a teacher and what students need uh, than at any other point, including in grad school. Like it was an amazing experience and completely has changed how I approach what I do. Yeah. Uh, and well, you got I to experiment. It. You have to experiment right. so much. That's crazy. Yes. 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 And like, it was like trusted to experiment. You yeah. Know? So I want to know, like, what was a great experiment that worked out well? And then I want to know the flip side. Like, what did you think that you tried teaching wise that didn't really work out? That um, great? Having kids write their own test was never, that never went well. <laughs> uh, having kids grade each other uh, was always, like, it would be so, you'd think they'd be easy on each other. Opposites. Kids loved to fail each other. Like it'd be aggressive. It. Yes. I didn't, I did not see that coming. Um, but at the same yeah. time, having kids run like exhibitions, and I still try to do this, even though it's much harder in the parameters of public school, but having kids put on events, like I had kids like reenact like the Vietnam era, you know, and like, like they, we, we just like for a day, we took over uh, one of the buildings on the campus and like redesigned the rooms. And we had like the Pentagon room and we had like the Kent state room. Like, and it was just, but like if they had a vision and you could enfranchise them, like give them the materials to just run with it and encourage them. Like that, I think is the best learning that you can provide because the kids remember that they remember what they did and they have mm-hmm. to work on like all the soft skills that end up helping them in real life. The classic thing, like, you know, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, right? But can you do your taxes? <laughs> yeah. Right, <laughs> like, right. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe we should be teaching that. Right. And so I still need like, to, be, to relearn how to do that. Right. Every year I have to learn it again. uh, But so like, but like working on projects, like having kids like create things, like then they're working, they're using those soft skills, like working with others and problem solving. And you know what I mean? Like, and those things I think are just really valuable for children and and for humans. And so that was, that was great. That's awesome. Um, It was awesome. So, but then listen, so we then had Matilda (laughs) and we had three kids Mm -hmm. and uh, the school again, looked like it was going under and we have this not, fun to work for head of school and uh three kids and 
Megan really wanted to get near her parents and we had no mm -hmm. support system in DC. Mm -hmm. And so Megan got a job at uh, the Marine Biological Laboratory on Cape. And I was like, great, honey. Like, that's fantastic. We'll move through. We were always in DC for her career, which her getting a similar job on Cape was kind of a miracle. Cool. Uh, and then, so I was like, great, I will, I will get a job up there. So now this was in 2015 and the teaching economy was not so great. And there's definitely not a shortage of English or history teachers in Massachusetts. <laughs> uh, so I like, and I was like, this is, I was realizing this is when I need to like, I need to lock in the job that I can have for 20 years. I'm getting to the age where I will be too old to be hired at my choice of schools anymore. Yeah. And, and so I needed to get licensed in Massachusetts, which I did. It was like, I need to lock in a Massachusetts and it didn't sell out to the man here, Andy, like lock mm -hmm. in a public school job, get that union pension going, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. play the game, play the play game with like the here. rest of us. <laughs> exactly. So I, so Megan got a job in Woods Hole. So we went 45 minutes from Woods Hole and then another 45 minutes deciding like that would be the maximum commute that either of us would be comfortable doing. So in this basically 90 minute radius from Woods Hole, I must have applied to 150 jobs and I got three interviews, one of which was not a real interview. Uh, and <laughs> like, you know, it was like, they, it was like clear they had already decided who they were hiring. You know what I mean? Like you ever have yeah. one of those? Oh it's yeah, like, yeah, totally. You're just going through the motions with you. It's yeah. quite clear that I'm giving a crap about what you're saying or who you are. Yeah. And, and uh, so I had really two real interviews and I got one job offer, which was actually a long-term sub position at Marshfield. So it was like, again, 45 minutes away. And I was like, well, this is it. All right. I'm going to be driving 45 minutes, but it was a sub position, like a long-term sub with the chance to become long-term, which it very quickly did. So I, I, I did have a long-term, I could be locked into Marshfield high school, but after one year, I noticed a job in sandwich opened up. And so I applied for it thinking there's no way I'm going to get it. Cause now I'm like, I'm kind of in the middle of the salary scale and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to want to hire it, but the superintendent happened to be outgoing and was outgoing on kind of angry terms. And apparently he decided to go out, just be in Santa Claus, just signing checks for anything. Anybody oh. wanted in his last days. And I was oh, one of his man. last, one of his last moves was to hire a veteran teacher into Skidwich high school. It was great. I got really lucky on that front. You gotta be, you have to get lucky somewhere, right? Exactly. So, yeah. so I got a job. So teaching English at Sandwich High School with an eight minute commute. Wow. Um, and so that is great. And my colleagues are great. My principal is not great and it is not a great work environment. And I don't necessarily need to talk much about that. Um, yeah, but I was going to say, yeah. Be as I don't as care. Are, I don't care. I mean, I, I, I've got tenure. Um, and okay. I'm not going to get fired for anything I say, but it's a toxic and he's got an in crowd and he doesn't really care about student outcomes. He's just, he's just lazy. He's just, he's a, he's a coach who's lazy and doesn't really whatever. So it's not a great work environment in that regard, but um, gotcha. uh, I, I do have great colleagues. I, I really enjoy my other teachers and it's a seven to 12 building. And now Maliki is in the building, which is kind of cool. Nice. And like I'm chess club advisor because he loves chess and there wasn't a chess club. Nice. And like, there's that kind of thing, which is cool. Love that. Love it. And I like, and I, and I, a lot of teachers want to work, not where they live. You know, the whole don't shit where you eat thing. Yeah. I actually, I love it. I love being Mr. Taylor around town. Like I see my yeah. students working. Totally. This. I love it. Like I, I, I feel like it's that. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And then I, you know, I coach everything that the kids do. Yeah, so now we're going to awesome. the point where I'm seeing kids that I've been coaching since they were in kindergarten and they all know me and it just feels like the center of the universe. And, and I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah. How big is sandwich as a, as a town? 20,000 people. 
uh, yeah. and like and like two thirds are retirement age. Like Cape yeah. Cod's a big retirement area. So how, how big is the school then? How could there like how many? Uh, we're, yeah, we're seven to we're seven to twelve. Um, yeah, and so we have I think we have a total of like eight hundred in the in those five grades or six grades. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot more in the seven and eight because we have we have school choice on Cape Cod. Like you can go to any school on Cape Cod if you live cool. here. Yeah. Um, there's we have uh, excellent charter schools that you can enter into a lottery. Um, and so that mm. big jump off point is ninth grade. Um, the reason that people stay in Sandwich is either because they're lazy and don't give a crap, uh, or because of the sports and they have like this affiliate. The public school offers a lot more sports options. Mm. Um, we are definitely giving our kids the choices, like as long as we can logistically figure it out. Um, in yeah. terms of the charter schools or if they want to visit like nearby Mashpee. There's, mm-hmm. if, if you were starting right now building an education infrastructure on Cape Cod, there's absolutely no way that all these little towns would have their own high school. What you would have instead is this <laughs> model of the regional high school. Yeah. Like we have this, this massive facility that serves like, you know, 5,000 students right. and, ser- and serves like a geographical yeah. area of like, you know, 60 square miles kind of thing. Yeah. But, that's that's still pretty unique then you know just uh yeah. for your kids you know right it is but yeah. it's also i just in terms of a model it's just like it's just not the way like so many things in this world it's not if you were starting now it's absolutely not the way you would do it <laughs> right 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 that's fair though and then the the town like inflates right <laughs> when when the tourists come in and it's yeah. like a whole different whole different world right so less so sandwiched than the rest of the Cape. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're definitely the, I mean, they call it like a bedroom community. Cause sort yeah. of we're up on like on the shoulder of the Cape and like yeah. a lot of the people that who are still working age, like do commute to Boston from here. Mm-hmm. And we're like, I would say the most, the outermost, like I don't think anyone else on Cape, any other town on Cape people are actually commuting to Boston. So like, so less so like there's a lot, there's not as much like tour, like there's no good beaches here. There is mm. there is the treehouse uh, treehouse uh, beer outlet, which I'm a big fan of. <laughs> yeah, but it's um, like like people here complain about how we have the highest taxes on Cape, but that's because we have the same taxes as the rest of Massachusetts, whereas all mm. of the other towns can charge tourists thirty dollars a day to park at the beach. Interesting. Yes. Right on. Well, something I wanted to ask you about, just as a teacher during like today's political climate, something I'm always curious about is just how things that are going on in the world of politics today yeah. um how are they taught in high schools because obviously everyone has their own opinion and there's misinformation and there's sure um you know fake news or whatever and then you have like parents i guess are the end like quote-unquote customer like how do you yes. you know how, how do you cater to that and is that hard to do <laughs> i mean you try to avoid controversy you never you never want to yeah. end up on the, on the news in any way you know like right you try to avoid controversy i mean i never uh, I, I am I am definitely strident in, in in shooting down misinformation. Like when students say things that are false, I will say that is not correct, and I will mm-hmm. provide in sourcing to point out is not correct. But other than being in favor of truth and generally pro humans, like kids <laughs> don't really know how I you know don't know my politics, you know. Mm, okay. Nice. Um, and that's just, that's, it's kind of have to do it that way. I mean, they're, I mean, for the most part, children will just, I mean, teenagers will just parrot whatever they're hearing at home and they don't right. really right. know what they're talking about, yeah. you know? So I just try to stick with what's provable, what's known facts. You know, there is an objective, you know, obviously in the, in the Trump era, like that mm-hmm. suddenly it was much shocking that like 
demonstrable facts would be questioned, you know? Right. And so right. I would just try to be like, okay, I'm not getting into politics, but here are facts, you know, and that's, <laughs> and that's just kind of leave it at that. Um, I don't, I mean, like I would talk criminal justice and we would have some pretty intense debates about policing and brutality. And I would yeah, just, I like, I, I would just try to mediate. Like I wanted kids to be able to share what they thought. And I would just try to mediate in terms of being a filterer of, of factual information. Yes. But not in terms of like supporting an argument or that kind of thing. Hmm. So did you ever feel like um, the group came to some conclusion that was like, well, that's not really what I agree with, but it's uh, whatever. It's like you guys came to this conclusion and it's, it's the opposite of my opinion, but I don't really, yeah. yeah just kind of let it I be. mean, yeah. I mean, like, you never, you almost never have a whole class agreeing with one thing, you know, but I definitely, I mean, this is a, this is a conservative town. I mean, certainly as far mm-hmm. as Massachusetts goes, this is a very conservative town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I mean, kids, you know, like my, in my criminal justice class, you know, kids would be like, police are never wrong. Like they're police. You can't ever question them. And I'd be like, all right, like, that's how they feel. I'm not going to. Yeah continue to challenge that you know and out of other kids who are like we don't need police you know mm-hmm. like, well, i don't think that's correct either but like you know you just you don't you don't you don't need to create consensus on issues in your classroom you know what mm-hmm. you need to do is let kids be able to speak respectfully to listen respectfully to right mm-hmm. you know that's what you're trying to teach is just like how to be a good citizen that interacts with other citizens that don't always agree yeah, much needed these days. Right, right. Um, um, I did just do with my eighth grade uh, a a documentary verse novel titled "Loving Versus Virginia," and it's like oh, yeah. this. This it's pretty. It's pretty great, actually. The kids really. It's pretty great. I'm getting into this advocacy unit. I'm going to ask them to like pick an issue and try to do something for the good about it in the world, but like whatever they pick, you know, great. Like that's, I'm not going to push them towards anything. Yeah. Um, and I, and I was a little worried there'd be some blowback about basically teaching anti-racism, but there hasn't been, I've been observed by my assistant principal right during a pretty, you know, intense moment of the book. (laughs) She's completely supportive of what we're doing. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's facts. Right. (laughs) Right. History. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Yes. These characters were threatened by the clan like that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That uh, that's super interesting. I always thought like going in, like learning that, the old court cases was always super valuable. I did that really in college. Totally. So, yeah. Just understanding, you know, yes. what is the argument on each side, you know? Yes. At the highest, I love that, man. highest level. Yeah. Here's, here's something interesting, Andy. I was in that mm-hmm. program at Virginia mm-hmm. that had eight, te- there eight teachers getting this English licensure thing. Uh, and every single one of us had at least one parent who was a lawyer. Hilarious. Yes. I think I've, I've always liked the law. Any like I just, yeah. I just find that that's the, that's the other industry that I find yeah. fascinating besides education. Yeah. I could never be a lawyer is basically what I learned in the one law class I, I took. <laughs> I love to learn about it, but I was just like, I had the wrong interpretation pretty much every time. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, you're a smart guy. As long as you're smart, you can be a lawyer. I think we're all take. smart, smart in our own ways. You know? That's true. That's true. And what does that even mean? Like, there's different what does types that even of intelligence. Mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm good at uh, the computer bee boops, so I, yes. I do that as much as possible. I was going to ask about your experience as a teacher during the COVID pandemic. Um, you know, sure. that must have been brutal. Shitty. Yeah, it yeah. sucks. Yeah, everything about it sucked. Of it being a parent, being a teacher, <laughs> sucked. Yeah, and the, uh, 
honestly, the worst part was like our principal suddenly became like, don't do anything because it's inequity because we have poor kids who can't access. So therefore, no kids should be able to access. Great. Yeah. I was just like, this is so backwards. <laughs> like, like, why not just, you know, why are we limiting what kids can do and supposed to just trying to, you know, like that was the most disheartening part. So but it for, was just no school was the I answer? mean, it was, well, no, there was, I mean, you know, it went on, there was different iterations. Mm-hmm. Initially, it was like, it's put up the first, those first like six weeks back in spring of 2020, it was like, just put up some assignments and then count them mm-hmm. as either check they did it or no, they didn't. <laughs> but then don't give them a grade, just a check. <laughs> like, cool. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, you can hold classes online if you want to. Wow. Uh, I, I definitely, I ran a senior class. It was my low level English, my low level uh, 12th graders. And def- this definitely happened that when the kids thought I had logged off, but I still had it on, kids started <laughs> taking bong hits right on the camera. Great. <laughs> so I, I hit record and just sent it to the principal just to be like, so this happened. <laughs> <laughs> like at least step away from the computer. Right. But he wanted, to show, the, he wanted to show the other, other kids bong on the thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, dude. <laughs> Zoom is free, you know. Right. <laughs> you can get 40 minutes for free. Right. You know, use the classroom link here. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. No, so then, but then there was like different iterations. So then we came back and it was like, we did like a hybrid thing where like I had to, I had to be behind my desk, mask on, plastic around me on camera. And half wow. the kids were logging in from home. And then half the kids were in the room in front of me. Wow. But I also had to keep all the windows open. And so some days it was freaking freezing in there. Oh my and like, God. but I was not allowed to not be off camera. Like I had to be seated behind my desk the whole time. So the kids what? at home could then access to the same level as the kids in the classroom. Oh my and that gosh. was shitty for both. It was both ends. It was like the worst answer. Uh, like, <laughs> It was awful. And then also just horrible. like horrible. It was horrible. And then so much, and we're all wearing masks all the time. And not that I mean masks are were obviously important for stopping the transmission yeah. of the virus. But like so much, you'd be surprised how much communication comes through facial expression. Right. And as a teacher, you're always you have to connect with students. If you're not personally, individually connecting with them on some level, then it's not going to go well. Like children want to learn because they want your approval. They like you, you like that, you know, mm-hmm. like there's like the relational element of teaching is you can't replace it. And, mm-hmm. and so when we had masks on, it just became so much harder to connect with and communicate with children, mm-hmm. you know, like, so that, I don't know. That was rough. But at the same time, I was like, well, we need these on. Like, I don't want to die. <laughs> and yeah. I don't want, and like every, every person here knows at least someone who's very old and therefore a high risk for COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, you know? no, really no great answer. Right. Without the, the tech infrastructure that clearly I think. Yes. They probably need. Right. And uh, yeah. And even with that, man, even with that, like there's just too yeah. much screen interface. Yeah. Then you're on a screen all day. Yeah. And we are definitely dealing with, uh, the the impact i mean the kids last two years like the kids are way behind where they normally are just in terms of reading and writing like what i work with obviously is reading and writing they're they're it's two years like like these children had a two-year most of them i mean Mm -hmm. like i mean my kids read a lot right and there's definitely the high fly like i don't know i think that's like the so much of it is the environment they're in and Mm -hmm. the kids whose parents make them read or come from reading homes are basically fine Mm mm-hmm 
but I would say 60% of my children don't read at home. That's, that's the fight every year, like getting them to read. But these kids had two years of just zero reading. And so they are wow. behind, behind for sure. Yeah. I'm trying to picture like generations that are coming into the workforce. You know, what are those years where it was the biggest impact that COVID had? You know, is it going to yeah. be like the three to five year olds or the... I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. That's a tough question. We'll never know. I don't know. But (laughs) yeah. It's yeah. Three decades. Uh, Yeah. That's right. Um, I will tell you this. I think the biggest variable in human outcomes, I've become convinced, is, and you should know this as a father of a young child too, it's, dude, Mm. were were they read to as children? Like the kids who are read to, who grow up enjoying books and valuing reading. They mm-hmm. generally do well in school. They like to learn, whatever. And the kids who do not grow up in language-rich households, like, yeah, they are behind. And school is always a struggle. And jobs will be a struggle. And like that is, to my impression, where I'm sitting, the biggest variable in human outcomes. Makes sense. I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, we get so much from communication and yeah, storytelling. Yes. yes. And that's, then, I think, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in neurodiversity. You know, no, no two brains are identical, but yeah. all of the children are just born to absorb. Like that is what they, they are absorbing machines. And the more language you give them, the better they will be at language and, and, and interpreting the world for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And so to, to not maximize that input at that age, and then yes. to try to play catch up with a brain that isn't a sponge anymore. Right. <laughs> uh, it's futile, right? Yes. I mean, Obvious. it's not, it's not futile, futile, but, but, but frustrating. But it's, 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 it's an, up, an uphill battle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gnarly. I will say this though. I like, I like the kids coming up, man. They're the, the, the generation yeah. coming up. They are nicer to each other. Yeah. They are, they are more polite. They're more respectful. They are more aware of the world and their impact on the world than my generation was. Right on. I mean, I mean, they don't like, I, I felt like bullies were still kind of like, champions for our generation and now this generation they call it out like they don't like they're accepting of trans i have trans students and yeah. kids are accepting of that you know and like i have very neurodiverse kids and they're cool. basically accepting of that so i feel that as in terms of being humans like just you know the, the humanity of the younger generation is good like the kids are all right on that front even if they don't read what generation are you referring to? Like, what's the name of this generation of kids? <laughs> I don't know, know, man. It's, it's I'm like trying to look I it teach. up now. That's what it yeah. is. Yeah, because uh, I know Gen Z is probably like past Gen Z then is my guess. It's like every 20 yeah. years. I don't know. I mean, they're not. It's the kids. I'm, I'm teaching the kids born in the aughts right now. So <laughs> yeah. What that is. Well, it is interesting because, you know, each little wave of technological advancement right with the internet and then right okay well now they're streaming everywhere and it's like right. instant gratification everywhere well that's the your... thing man. i feel <laughs> yeah. like you know for most of human history a generation was 30 years right but now apparently we're gonna do one every five so <laughs> yeah exactly sure yeah that like works. yeah like did you have to run to the bathroom before the commercial was over or right, you know, right. that's have... a generational marker now what yeah exactly it's wild <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, I'm seeing Generation Alpha is uh, what we have right now. It's a new one. It's right after Gen Z. Yeah, Weird. I, I don't know. I'm just saying. I, I felt this. I felt this way for about ten years. That the, the kids coming up are are nicer to each other than my generation cool. was. I'll believe it when I see it. I think. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, well, someone from that generation will be president someday. Right. I'll, I'll vote for someone from there eventually. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah. Right on, man. Um, this is awesome to catch up and talk. This is awesome to catch up. Work. I'm excited for baseball. Yeah, um, me too. I finished. Um, uh, I finished in second place in both of my football leagues. So frustrating. Mm, I bet. And one of them, and one of them by two points. And remember that that uh, game that got canceled because of the guy, the Buffalo safety. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. but that cost me a championship that game getting ending i had a chance to come back and win it and oh it just it canceled ended. and ended it just canceled so it was like those players just got zero points and then i lost because of that so they i mean I, I wouldn't i wouldn't oh, necessarily have one brutal like, I mean, it would have been i had a chance so how far along in the game had happened like two it was like two minutes and i had oh, so I had jamar chase brutal i was down like 20 points and i had jamar chase but he had a lower he had a much I forget which, which one he had a receiver in the game my opponent but his receiver was not jamar chase it was not mm. an elite receiver mm. and i was down but i was like i'm gonna come back he's gonna, be, he's gonna have a huge game i'm gonna win this thing <laughs> iceberg that you didn't see iceberg collapsed. didn't see the game suddenly getting canceled in the first yeah quarter. right <laughs> yeah hard to predict that come back with a fire next year because yeah always obsessed. always i'm so good at fantasy sports it's that addictive personality i think it's, it, it is man right on man i gotta right gotta on go help with the kiddo but this is awesome great. word man totally this was fun cool man i'll uh talk to you soon all right later andy later Bye. thanks for joining word stuff can you see my screen no i don't think so because it's just for listening I'm the guy who brings up work stuff at parties. My name is Andy, and I thank you for joining me. Work stuff, a podcast, professional stories casually told on work stuff.